Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. These days, it can be a lot harder to find what you might call a good job. You know, a job where you work for one company, maybe for years, and you get things like health insurance and paid sick days, and you make at least minimum wage. Well, today, all kinds of businesses, from Uber to Instacart to janitorial companies, argue they've come up with something better which is independent work or so-called gig work. Helping people start their own businesses and they were going to grow and thrive. Congratulations, you've just become entrepreneurs. You are now independent contractors. But some workers here in California are pushing back against the gig economy and questioning just how independent they really are. I don't own no business. I was fooled into giving all this money to work for somebody. Felt like you were indentured servants. I'm Sasha Coca. It's the California Report magazine. And today we're talking with Chrissy Clark. She's the host of Marketplace's documentary podcast, The Uncertain Hour. And she's here to tell us about her special series, This Thing We Used to Call Employment. It's all about work and how it's changing and why some people are making under minimum wages chump change. We'll hear what their struggle could mean for the future of work in California. Hey there, Chrissy. Hey, Sasha. Chrissy, we should mention that you were once the bureau chief for the California Report in Los Angeles. I was. Yeah. And now at the uncertain hour for the last year, you've been reporting on the growing number of people across our economy who basically do jobs for companies, but they're not considered employees of those companies. And that is a really important distinction, because if you're not a company's employee, they don't owe you a lot of the basic protections that most Americans took as a given not that long ago. Things like being paid at least minimum wage, getting care if you're hurt on the job, being able to form a union, being eligible for unemployment insurance. So the story you're going to tell us about today is about one guy who worked as a janitor and how what happened to him could have huge impacts on the lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans, in fact, on our whole economy. Yeah, I see the story as something that's about work. It's about independence. It's about the American dream. And it's about a guy who bought into a very specific version of that dream that's become really popular lately. And so let me introduce you to him. My name is Gerardo Vasquez. Everyone calls him Jerry. And in 2007, Jerry started a new job. He was in his mid-30s, living with his parents in San Bernardino. It's a sprawling county east of L.A. where orange groves have given way to freeways and Amazon warehouses. The job was with a commercial cleaning company called JanPro. Jerry became a janitor. I have my uh, mop bucket. He still has some of his original equipment. Still the original broom. 
And Jerry still remembers one of his first nights on the job, cleaning this big daycare. He was eager to prove himself. Put the Jampro shirt on. Blue with white letters. The badge. Loaded up on Rockstar energy drinks. Ready to go. I can do any hard work. I think any human can do anything. The daycare had about 100 kids, many still in diapers or potty training. You come in, you open the door, you turn off the alarm, you turn on the lights. When he headed to the bathrooms to start cleaning, he had no idea what he was in for. There's like a bomb of poop all over the place, peeing all over the place. And garbage bags full of diapers, so heavy you had to be careful getting them out of the trash bins. Because if you try picking up the plastic bag with all the diapers, the bottom's going to rip. Plus dried food and milk and juice caked onto the floor. All this stuff, it doesn't come off easily. Mopping for hours just wears down your knuckles. Your hands start to uh, hurt. And if I move my fingers like this, they'll pop by themselves. I can hear. That didn't used to happen. No, not that from the mopping. Of course, there are lots of hard jobs in the world. Jobs that make your body ache, that have long hours. But there was something about Jerry's job that made it that much harder to bear. Something he discovered when he looked closely at his first check. He was making... Maybe five bucks an hour? Five bucks an hour. Below federal minimum wage and way below the minimum wage where he lives in California, which was seven fifty an hour back then. You worked all these hours, it's very hard work, and at the end of the day, you're getting chump change. You're basically just barely making it. Wait a minute. How is it that a worker in America in the 21st century, in California, the state with the biggest economy, could get stuck in a job where they're making less than minimum wage. I mean, aren't there laws that require employers to pay a minimum wage to their employees? There are, but in Jerry's case, he was not considered an employee. So he wasn't an employee of the child care center that he cleaned. And according to Janpro, this janitorial services company he worked with, he wasn't an employee of Janpro either. But he had a uniform that had their name on it. Right, but in the company's eyes, he was what they called an independent contractor, an entrepreneur, with his very own personal janitorial business. Yeah, this is so reminiscent of what we've been hearing about the battles over companies like Uber and Lyft. It's happening across industries from high-tech ones like that to janitorial companies. And it turns out that there are a lot of parallels in what's happening in all these industries when it comes to this independent contractor question. So part of what I wanted to understand is how Jerry Vasquez and tens of thousands of janitors like him became these non-employees, these independent contractors, and why some of them began to push back against that framing. So how do people like Jerry get drawn into these kinds of jobs in the first place? So a lot of them told me it started with an ad. If you're working for a paycheck or worrying about job security, your own business could be just over the horizon. Now I have the freedom to make my own business decisions. Financially, I'm doing better while I provide security for my family. I can grow and manage my business at my own pace. It's my choice. Want your own business? Call JamPro. This has become a common way for companies across the gig economy to sell themselves. They just made it sound very good. When Jerry Vasquez first heard about Janpro back in the mid-2000s, he was living with his aging parents, helping care for his dad, who was very sick. Like a lot of people these days, Jerry was desperate for work that would make it easier to juggle his family obligations, where he could run home unexpectedly if his dad suddenly needed him. 
having a regular job, you can't just leave. So when he saw a JanPro ad in the Penny Saver saying you could start your own business for as little as $950 down, he called them up. I always wanted to do you know, something on my own, start my own business. Soon, he found himself at a JanPro office in Ontario, California, a couple blocks off the freeway in a suburban office park. Just a small, typical office. One of the people at the office sat down with him, gave him a promotional packet with a picture of a pink sky and the sun glimmering just over a mountain range. And in big white letters, that phrase again. Your own business could be just over the horizon. We tried to reach the person who Jerry spoke to that day. We got no response. But I did speak with Karen Miller. In the late 2000s, around the same time Jerry was getting his sales pitch at the JanPro office in California, Karen was selling JanPro franchises to people like him in Michigan. And she says the selling points were pretty much the same all over. You know, to start your own business and, and freedom for $950. Karen says there was a basic script handed down from JanPro headquarters that they were trained to follow when someone walked in the door. She called it the spiel. They were going to be business owners and, you know, grow and thrive. That is definitely not what, you know, it turned out to be. But that is what I believed it was going to be, you know, in the beginning. So, Chrissy, how does JanPro's business model actually work? So basically, JanPro's shaped kind of like a pyramid. There's the parent brand at the top, and then they divide the country into these different regions and sell the rights to use the JanPro name to different master franchisees, like Karen, who we just heard from. Then those folks turn around and try to sell these individual businesses to people like Jerry, who actually do the cleaning. There's about 8,000 of those smaller franchises across the country. And when you buy one of these franchises, JanPro would train you in how to clean buildings. They'd guarantee to provide you with an initial set of customers. And then once a month, they'd pay you what the cleaning customers had paid them, minus a bunch of fees and other deductions that they'd keep for themselves and the parent company at the top. And there were different levels of these franchise plans you could buy into. The more money you spent, the more money JanPro said you could earn. Jerry got interested in this plan that would cost $5,000 up front, plus another $4,000 he'd pay in these monthly installments. And with that plan, JanPro said he could get $20,000 worth of income per year. But on the sheet that explained all this, there was this little asterisk. And in small print, the asterisk explained that those numbers were based on gross income, meaning they weren't spelling out all the money they'd take out of his paycheck or the overhead he'd have to spend. Still, Jerry didn't think a lot about that at the time. He just wanted to start his own business and do this. The problem was he didn't have enough money to make that $5,000 down payment. It's a lot of money. I mean, to me. So he talked it over with his parents. They'd both grown up in Mexico, very poor. They'd moved to the U.S. for a better life. And the idea that their son might be able to start his own business, it felt like the fulfillment of their American dream. His mom, Isabel, says they wanted to help make it come true. She and Jerry's dad scraped up enough money to help cover the down payment. I want to help. <laughs> That's what moms do. Yeah. <laughs> I said, let's go. I, I want to do it. And so Jerry decided to go for it. I gave him a call and then said, yeah, okay, I think I'd like to try this, you know, sign up. He signed the franchise agreement. It was a 10-year contract. And that's how he started his very own janitorial franchise. The only staff was him and his mom. Jerry showed me the ID badge JanPro made for him after he did all the paperwork. It's still hanging on its blue lanyard. It's the badge. Oh, there you are. You had 
sort of a mustache. You look the same, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, my hair's falling out. It's great. <laughs> what would you now tell that person? <laughs> Don't do it. Run the other way. There was a lot of fine print in the 18-page contract Jerry had signed with Janpro. But there were two sentences that would most determine his fate. At the time, Jerry didn't think too much about them. The first sentence said that Jerry, quote, is and shall remain at all times a completely independent contractor. The next sentence goes on to say Jerry is not an employee. And of course, being independent, escaping the confines of regular employment, that was his dream back then. And at first, it seemed to be working out. He showed me a stack of notes from customers that he kept from those early days. I'll just put them in a black bag. And so the first one is from Supercuts. That's from Supercuts. And you got a 10. She gave and me a 10. It says Jerry is. <laughs> great. Uh, Jerry is great. Congratulations. And the great is in. In uh, orange highlighter. Right, right. That's yeah. Really great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Highlighted great. There were notes from the Supercuts office he cleaned, the Catholic Charities office, the daycare. Another fabulous month. Thanks. We have a keeper, smiley face. Jerry, thanks for working so hard. We really appreciate it. Keep him. He's a great worker. The buildings Jerry was cleaning were so big and dirty that he immediately brought on his mom to help clean them. They felt proud of the work they were doing. We try the very hard, the best that we can. So leave everything nice and clean. When Jerry got his first check... Yeah, it was a shock to see how little money he was bringing in, given how many hours he and his mom were working, up to 13 hours a day each. Plus the fact that Janpro kept more than a quarter of Jerry's gross earnings for loan payments and various franchise fees. But he tried not to get discouraged. The way he saw it at the time, if he and his mom were making less than minimum wage, it was his fault, because this was his own janitorial business after all. And you go into it with that mentality. I was like, maybe there's a learning process. Maybe there's something, something wrong. So I need to see what I can do to improve. What did he try to do to improve? Pretty much everything. He he tried to just work faster. Uh, he would try not to pee while he was working, but you can only do that for so long. He would literally run um, from room to room in the offices that he was cleaning. He started reading books on how to run a business. He did market research. And eventually he figured out, I think, the, like, I can't go any faster. I think the problem is I'm just not charging enough money. So he decided, OK, I need to charge more. But then Jerry said that Janpro actually discouraged him from having communication with his clients. It was Janpro who was supposed to be doing the negotiating of contracts. And when Jerry tried to leave his own little business cards in the offices he cleaned so people could contact him directly, Jerry says that a Janpro representative got rid of them. So slowly, Jerry started to feel like rather than running his own business, he was a cog in someone else's business. Felt like I wasn't. A franchise owner felt like I was an employee. And the more he thought about it, if he had been an employee, Janpro would have had to pay him at least minimum wage, pay him overtime, pay him for the time he spent prepping his cleaning supplies and washing all his rags and mops at the end of the day. According to state law in California, where Jerry lives, Janpro would also have to give him paid sick days and workers' comp benefits. They'd have to cover his expenses for buying cleaning supplies and his Janpro uniform. If he'd been considered an employee, Janpro would have had to do all that stuff. But since he was supposedly the owner of his own business, Janpro 
did not. And on top of all that, when he looked at his work for JanPro in this new light, through the lens of someone who felt like he was an employee, those thousands of dollars in franchise fees that JanPro charged Jerry, they didn't feel like legitimate franchise fees. Instead... Basically, I just paid money for a job, cleaning toilets. Hmm. So, Chrissy, let's take a step back here for a second. Tell us, how does Jerry's story fit into a bigger history of how workers get classified in this country? You see this kind of stuff going back as far as 1914. A hundred years ago, there was a coal mining company that tried to claim its coal miners weren't its employees when they got hurt on the job. And a judge said, not so fast. They are doing the main job that your business is based on. They are your employees. Today, still, there are companies who try to avoid the costs connected with employee protections by saying, you're not our employee. Congratulations, you're an independent contractor, an entrepreneur. Take us back to Jerry's story. What did he do when he found himself in what sounds like a pretty untenable situation? Yeah, he just wanted to stop. He wanted to give up his franchise and return it to JanPro. So he went back to the JanPro office. He talked to a woman and told her, I want to give this franchise back and I want a refund on the $5,000 down payment that I've made. And she's like, well, can't do that. You need to keep working and you fulfill your fulfillment towards us. You were told, we're not going to give you your money back, and actually, you still owe us. $4,000. That $4,000 loan they'd given him to buy the franchise plan and use the JanPro name, he still hadn't paid it all off. Now, the manager was telling him even if he wanted to stop operating the franchise and stop cleaning buildings using the JanPro name, stop earning any money at all from cleaning for JanPro, he still owed JanPro what was left on that loan. That pissed me off. That made me so angry. Felt like we were indentured servants. Like, you can't leave JanPro until you pay us this much money. Jerry says this made him angry at the JanPro manager. Angry at JanPro. But angry at himself, too. It's embarrassing. I mean, and I should have looked more into it. Why did I fall for this? Wow, it's really hard to hear the regret in his voice. Yeah, it was, he's gone over that moment a thousand times. So did things turn around for Jerry? Well, he started wondering if anyone else was feeling like he was. And he started noticing that when he saw other janitors who were picking up their checks at the JamPro office, there were a lot of other angry faces. So he started calling up some of these folks and asking them about their experiences. And he's a shy guy, um, but he mustered his courage up. And he told me he'd try to start these phone conversations in a neutral, diplomatic way. He'd say something like, hello, am I speaking to Tamika Gordon, the owner of a JanPro cleaning business? I said, I don't own no business. I said, do you mean do I work for JanPro? He said, yes. And then we got to discussing what was going on with both of us. And it was the same stuff. You're not a franchise owner. You are underpaid employee. It was like I was fooled into giving all this money to work for somebody. Like Jerry, Tamika had always dreamed of starting something of her own. That's what had drawn her to JanPro, too. It was big. Everybody, the radio, everybody was talking about JanPro this, JanPro that, be a franchise owner, this and that. And what clicks in your head? Owner, owner, owner. You're going to be an owner. But she says once she bought a unit franchise, that's not how it felt. Eventually, she shut her franchise down. She says she was spending more to keep the janitorial business going and pay fees to JanPro than she was making from cleaning buildings. She says her credit was ruined, and she's still climbing out of the hole. 
that made me feel less than an ant on the ground. The worst experience of my life. You think about it, you'd be like, how was I that dumb to let my dreams just fall apart? Hmm. So you can hear the regret in Tamika's voice as well. How did hearing from people like Tamika change things for Jerry? He got really fired up. He was angry. He wanted justice. He he started talking to more and more people like Tamika, and they had a lot of similar stories. And he started talking to a lawyer. He printed up a flyer asking other Janpro janitors to meet him at a park. I was just out here by the grass, just waiting for people. And then, while Jerry was standing there, half hoping no one would respond to his flyer, a car pulled in. And then another car shows up, and then another car shows up. Next thing you know, there's like 15, 20 of us. There were families who came with their kids, single moms, veterans, Black, Latino, Filipina. Jerry says he could feel his face turning red. He was sweating. It was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even want to be in this mess. I never asked for this. They talked for a few hours. And by the end of the meeting, despite his anxiety, Jerry felt good. A little bit upbeat, because we're all like, yeah, we're finally going to take some action and do something about, you know, what they're doing to us. If we all unite, we can maybe get some justice. Many of the people at the park that day decided to join a class action lawsuit. A lawsuit that would come to be known as Vasquez versus Janpro Franchising International. That's Vasquez as in Jerry Vasquez. So, Chrissy, Jerry's lawsuit has become a pretty big deal. Yeah, and the whole legal case hinges on that feeling that Jerry had, that he was not a franchise owner. Yeah, he felt more like an employee. And there's a legal name for that feeling that he was having. Jerry was feeling misclassified. It's a form of payroll fraud. It's against the law. And as many as 30% of companies misclassify some of their workers, which means that potentially several million people may be losing out on minimum wage protections and other employee benefits that they're owed under the law. Let me guess who's disproportionately impacted by this. Immigrants, people of color, low-income folks? Yeah, people in construction, home care, driving and delivery services, and janitorial services. Those are common places where misclassification occurs. But lately, courts and lawmakers have been trying to make the line between who's an employee and who's an independent contractor more clear. Well, in Jerry's case, and this issue went all the way up to the California Supreme Court, right? Right, because a few years ago, the Supreme Court clarified in an opinion known as Dynamex that employment protections like minimum wage and overtime are so important that people should just be assumed to be employees unless the company that they work for can prove otherwise. If the work you're doing for a company is part of its, quote, usual course of business, in other words, it's at the heart of what the company does, then you're an employee. Yeah, like if you're a coal miner and you're mining coal for a coal mining company. Exactly. Or as Jerry's case argues, if you're a janitor cleaning buildings for a building cleaning company. Chrissy, did you reach out and try to get Janpro's side of the story in your reporting? Yes, many, many times. And I finally reached Jack LaPointe, who was the founder of Janpro. And all through our conversation, he kept talking about how Janpro helped, quote, the little guy by helping him go into business for himself. He was very proud of the business that he had developed. But the thing that Jack told me that stood out to me the most about Janpro was this. In my case, believe it or not, even though it's commercial cleaning, I'm not in the cleaning business 
we are in the marketing uh, and sales and marketing and also building unit franchise owners business. And I'm just going to stop the tape right here to unpack what Jack just said, because it goes by kind of quickly. I'll play the important part for you again. I'm not in the cleaning business. Jack is telling me that he and the company he founded are not in the cleaning business, which was weird to me because the company's called JanPro, Jan as in janitor. Market analysts consistently list JanPro as one of the leaders in the commercial cleaning industry. On a JanPro website, it says in big letters, commercial office and workspace cleaning. And JanPro advertises itself to customers with commercials like this. Our commercial cleaning services are trusted, clean, guaranteed. But Jack was telling me, actually, JanPro's not in the cleaning business. So he's suggesting that the work Jerry does as a building cleaner is not part of JanPro's usual course of business? Right, which would help JanPro's defense that Jerry's not really their employee. A federal appeals court did not buy this argument. But it turns out this defense that JanPro has used is quite common. So what kinds of workers are we talking about who, who have sued over this misclassification? Strippers who had to pay the strip clubs where they performed, FedEx drivers who had to buy their own trucks. And in a lot of these suits, what Jerry's lawyer says is that these companies who are being sued, they sort of use this we're not what we seem defense. So FedEx has tried to claim that it wasn't in the delivery industry, but in the logistics industry. Uh, Strip clubs have tried to deny that they're in the business of adult entertainment, despite the fact that they have women taking off their clothes in their clubs. And Uber has used the same defense uh, faced with misclassification lawsuits from their drivers. What, that it's not a rideshare company? Saying that it's not a transportation company, but it's a tech platform. And it sounds like it's been more than a decade since Jerry first filed that lawsuit. So he's basically just been waiting for a resolution this whole time. Yeah. And what is he hoping that resolution would look like? He wants that refund of the $4,000 down payment. Um, He's looking for back wages. He might get some damages. But the bigger thing that he hopes for is that JanPro will have to start treating the hundreds of janitorial franchisees that it works with in California as employees and give them the rights that come with employment. So how is Jerry doing now? He's 48 now. He still lives at home with his mom. And that whole reason that he wanted to get his Jan Pro business off the ground was because of dreams that he had for his life. My hopes were to grow the business and eventually, you know, buy a house, find me a young lady, get married, have kids, have a family, and, you know, have a life like everybody else. You felt like I kind of stalled. Yeah, stalled like I was, I was stuck. What's Jerry been doing for work while he's waiting for his case to make it through the courts? Well, he's had other non-employee jobs since JanPro. He's worked at an Amazon warehouse where he didn't actually work for Amazon, but for a temp agency. He worked at one of those meal kit delivery companies where he worked through a temp agency there as well. Right now, he's working for a friend who's an electrician. He's kind of his helper, but he's keeping his eye out for something more stable. The thing is, after all his dreams of entrepreneurship, what he really wants now is just a regular job as an employee, with all the benefits that come with that. Chrissy, thank you so much for sharing Jerry's story with us. Thank you, Sasha. Chrissy Clark reported this story for The Uncertain Hour. It's a documentary podcast from Marketplace and American Public Media. The Uncertain Hour's latest podcast season is all about how work is changing in America. 
And you can find it at uncertainhour.org. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Lisa Morehouse edited this week's show. Susie Racho is our producer-director, and Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Our team also includes MJ Johnson. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.